Please take out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, if you would please, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Wonderful to see all of you here this morning. Wonderful to have all of you at home worshiping with us as well. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15, reads as follows. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. It's about time. It's about time. It, it really is. <laughs> that is both the title and the topic of our sermon this morning, as well as that of our text here, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, which serves as sort of a theme for this whole chapter. It's what this chapter, chapter five, is about. It's about time. And how the blood-bought child of the living God should try to be spending every priceless, precious, and God-given second of their time that they personally possibly can before their time on this earth runs out. I said that the, the timely passage of verses 15 through 17 serve as sort of the centerpiece or focus of chapter 5, and here's why. Please notice in this chapter how or what Christians should be spending their precious time doing and how it permeates the rest of the entire chapter. For example, look back with me in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We should be spending our time imitating God and walking in the love of the Savior every day. That's how we should be spending our time. Verses 3 through 7, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. We should not be spending our time in pursuit of these things or with people who spend their time in pursuit of these things, but rather our time should be spent in the giving of thanks to God. Otherwise, it's a tragic waste of our God-given time. And as we look around us these days and we see so many people who have so many life-threatening issues and some who have lost their lives, we need to really understand that time is a very precious commodity that God gave us to spend in a certain way. As we consider the contents of, of verses 3 through 7, I'm reminded of the words of, of Peter, who said that the folks to whom he was writing had already spent too much of their time. They'd already wasted too much of this precious commodity of time doing things like that to begin with. He stated in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He said, you've wasted enough time doing those things, Christian. 
You need to devote your time now to the will of God. Here in Ephesians, as we continue, chapter 5, it says in verses 8 through 10, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You can see how everything that we're talking about is building up to verses 15 through 17. It's building up to how we spend our time. And, and he says here that we need to spend our time, verses 8 through 10, walking every day as children of light. Well, how do we do that? Well, by spending our time first finding out and then putting in the effort to live out that which is acceptable to the Lord. Verse 12 says, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. He said, these things are, these things are, I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 11. I skipped a verse. Sorry about that. He says in verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, some people, when you go to expose the evil deeds of darkness, when you go to call sin, sin, when you go to identify, this is not right in the eyes of God. When you, when you say that, some people will say, well, you're being terribly judgmental, and that's what they call it. But God calls it a good use of the time he has given us. He tells us to expose those things. They're so shameful, verse 12, even to speak of them. But if they're that shameful, then they must be indeed exposed. Verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest or made known by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. In other words, wake up. Wake up and understand. Wake up and understand that devoting the precious gift of the time that God has given you on this earth Devote it to something. To devote it to something other than living for him is a tragic waste of that gift. It is a tragic waste of that irreplaceable resource that God has given you. And that is the time here. And that brings us back to the crux or, or the theme or the central message, as far as I can see, of all of chapter 5. What we're about to read again is, is the passage we read in the beginning, and, and you can see how the reason I call it the central theme or focus is because everything that comes before it leads up to it. Everything that comes after it is an explanation of it. It all ties into this, this central message. Verses 15 and 16, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. When we talk about those who are foolish and those who are wise, this is the same line of demarcation that the Lord used in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, you'll recall that in that passage that Jesus said, those who heard his words and did them were wise, like the man who built his house on the rock. But those who heard his words and did not do them was foolish, like building your house on sand. When the storms come, a house built on sand is going to collapse. So again, this is that same line of demarcation between the wise and the foolish that our Lord used there. This phrase in verse 16, redeeming the time, your version may say making the most of the time. That's the idea, making the most of the time that you do have. Brother James Burton Kaufman wrote these words regarding verse 16. He said how true this was, that they needed to make the most of the time, how true this was of the time when Paul penned these words. Within a very few years, Rome would be burned and Nero would drown the Christians in blood to divert suspicion from himself that he personally had set it on fire, that is Rome. Jerusalem would fall to the armies of Vespasian and Titus. 
and the accumulated wrath of God for centuries of rebellion would finally overflow against Israel. Many who read these very words, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, many who read these words for the first time would soon suffer persecution and death. The days were indeed evil and only a little while remained before the storm would overwhelm the world. Only a little while to walk in the light and the joy of the loving service of Christ the Lord. I would suggest to you that the same thing is true for us even though we do not live in ancient Rome. You see, no matter how long or how short we may live, no matter what age, what era, or time period we live in, our time here on this earth to learn, to love, to live, to serve, and to get to know the Savior better before the storm of our own passing hits us and we go to meet him is extremely short. It's extremely short. As the old saying goes, we're sort of like a calendar, our days are numbered, and, and, and it is, it's short. Remember what James said about that? He said, what's your life? It's just a vapor that appears for a little while and, and then is gone. Vanishes away, James 4.14. And so, knowing that, how should we spend that time? Ephesians 5.17, as we continue through this chapter, says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul goes on to explain to our brethren in first century Ephesus exactly how to, to redeem the time, to make the most of it, because the days are evil. And the way that we make the most of it is to study and to learn and to understand what the will of the Lord is. Not to waste or squander the precious gift of time we've been given. He goes on to tell us how to develop our relationship with God and get even closer to God before we go to meet God while walking in the light and joy of his loving presence. How do we do that, Paul? We need to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's how we need to spend our time. But, but what helps us to do that? How, how do we do that? Well, he, he goes on to say, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's how you make the most of your time. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. He said, that's how you make the most of the time. That's how you redeem the time. He goes on, obviously, to, to talk from there about other ways that we are to spend our time, which flow out of that. He talks about the relationship between Christian husband and husbands and wives, and how to be the best Christian husband, and how to be the best Christian wives. And then in chapter 6, he goes into to talking about how, how we should be spending our time as parents and children, learning to be the best Christian parents we can and the best Christian children that we can, and not, not just learning how to do it, but doing it, spending our time making that conscious effort. Folks, that don't just happen. It don't just happen. You look at, you look at and I've mentioned this before, one of the most beautiful things in the world to me is to see that elderly couple walking somewhere, shuffling along, and you know they've been married 65 years hand in hand. That, that to me is just one of the most beautiful sights on the planet, okay? All those years of, of hardship and all of those years of, of maybe loss of children and, and disappointment and financial frustration and all of those things. And here they are after 65 or 68 or 70 years and they're walking hand in hand. To me, that is just one of the most beautiful, precious. But the thing is, that doesn't just happen. That's built. That is something that is worked at, pursued, built. It doesn't just happen. Well, we need to understand that we need to be spending our time as husbands, wives, children, parents, 
He goes on even to talk about bond servants here in chapter 6, verses 5 and following, building, spending our time being and growing in those virtues and graces, growing as Christian people in whatever role we're in. And then, of course, he goes on in chapter 6 and verse 10 to talk about another way that we're to redeem the time, make the most of the time, and that is to put on the full armor of God. And once we get that full armor of God on, to, to strengthen it at every chance that we get. Spending our time putting on and becoming ever more familiar with the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Because if we are not spending our time here, if we are not spending our time here preparing to withstand the devil while we're here, we may very well wind up standing with him when we get there. <coughs> and that's not good. <coughs> did you know, don't know if you ever thought of it this way, did you know that time is the one earthly currency which you can literally spend in pursuit of the heavenly. Did you know that? Time is the one earthly currency that you can literally spend in pursuit of the heavenly. In pursuit, ironically, of the place where it doesn't exist. As Simon the sorcerer discovered in Acts 8, verses 18 through 23, you can't purchase the gift of God with money. That currency just won't cut it. And although our place in heaven, don't, don't get me wrong here, our place in heaven, our inheritance reserved in heaven for us, as Peter talks about, our place in heaven was fully bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing on earth you can spend to acquire that. Jesus paid it all. However, we still must spend time in study, in prayer, in service, in worship, in sacrifice, and devotion if we're going to maintain possession of that which he paid for in his blood. We still have to spend time maintaining and building that relationship that he purchased in full force. Haven't you ever bought something that was very pricey, but you have to maintain it? You have to a car, don't you? Don't you have to spend money maintaining a vehicle? Don't you have to spend money maintaining a house? I mean, there's the house payments. That's one thing it's purchased for you, but there's, there's, a, there's this ma maintenance. There's this maybe improvement. Now, we can't improve our relationship with God more than it is through Christ, but we can make it stronger, as it were. We can't improve what Jesus did for us, but we can maintain it through the spending of time in prayer and study and service and sacrifice and all of those things. You know, just because a wide receiver or running back is given the ball, that doesn't mean that they're going to hang on to it all the way to the end zone, does it? They have got to have spent time maintaining their hold on it because when the enemy starts hitting them, they could very well lose possession of it. Sadly, there are a lot of folks in scriptures who, instead of spending their time seeking and pursuing and protecting and maintaining and putting the things of the kingdom of God first, instead, they wasted, they squandered the time. And they invested what precious little time they had been given on earth in pursuit and procession of the temporary while discarding or forfeiting the eternal. Luke in particular has a number of references about such time squanderers. Look with me, if you would please, in Luke 8. And these are all familiar passages. We won't spend a lot of time on them, but, but look at 
some of these time squanderers in the gospel according to Luke. Luke 8, verses 11 through 14. Parable of the sower, very familiar. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but these have no root, who believe for a little while and in time of temptation fall away. What happens to them? Well, they believe for a little while, but then temptation comes in, the things of the world start to pull and tug on them, so they start spending their time not with the things of God anymore, but with the things of the world. Verse 14, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Again, these are people who begin to spend their earthly time, even though they've heard the word, they, they go out and they spend their time with the cares and riches and pleasures of the world rather than the word and the love and the mercy and the service of God. If you look at me in Luke chapter nine, Look at verses 59 through 62. Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Luke 9, 59. And now verse 60. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The point of this text is, if you're saying, well, yeah, I'll, I'll become a Christian and I'll serve God, but first, but first, I, I got something more important to do. I've got a, a way that I would rather be spending my time for a little bit while longer. If you're saying, sure, but let me go first and, and, and take care of this or do this, then you're not putting the kingdom first. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16. Again, a very familiar text, but it's about squandered time. In chapter 12, beginning at verse 16 of Luke, he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what'll I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this, light bulb. I will, put down, I, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He's talking to himself. Now God's going to talk to him. But God said to him, Fool. There's that word we saw in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be? which you have provided. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, he was wasting a lot of time. He was wasting time building up possessions for himself. And he wasn't spending any time being rich toward God. Finally, if you would turn to me to Luke 19 and look at verses 41 through 44, another text that talks about time squandering. <coughs> Luke 19, 41, Jesus coming down toward Jerusalem. It says, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. They did not understand the time factor. They, they did not understand that Jesus God in the flesh, the word became flesh who dwelt among us. The Old Testament Messiah had come to visit them. They did not understand the time. And so they squandered the time that he was here, not learning from him and listening to him. But you know, there are a number of beautiful passages in the Bible. We'll call them time passages. There are a number of beautiful passages in the Bible that talk to us about the ever so precious commodity which we call time. 
It, they talk about the high priority that God places on time and about what is worthy for us to be spending our time on and, and what is not. I want to just take a brief survey of a few of those very precious time passages, for lack of a better term. And I'm not going to turn to each one. I've got them written down. So listen and, and take notes if you'd like. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, it talks about God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Did you catch it? God's purpose of saving us preceded his creation of time to govern us. God's purpose of saving us preceded his creation of time for us. Our salvation was secured in Christ before time even began. 2 Timothy 1.9. So it appears to me then from that passage that to God, our salvation was more important than time. So, shouldn't our salvation be more important to us than time? In Titus 1, verses 2 and 3, it talks about something very similar. It talks about the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. There we see it again. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Once again in that text, we see that our hope of eternal life, God providing that hope of eternal life for us, preceded the creation of time itself in God's creation order. So, shouldn't that same preaching of the hope that we have of eternal life take precedence over any time concerns or other ways we could be spending our time on our priority list as well at the same time? Romans 5, 6, another time passage, or another passage that has the word time in it for our Encouragement. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible tells us in Psalm 103 that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. It still blows my mind that God in all his holiness and righteousness came in the flesh and died for the ungodly godly, the sinner, the, the dirty, the weak, the failure, the sinner, the worst. I, I cannot get my mind around a love like that. I can't. I keep trying. I've spent a number of decades trying and I'm still trying. What an incredible passage in due time. At just the right time, as it were, Christ died for the ungodly. Another beautiful time passage for us as Christians. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. The Lord, as we sung in that song, the Lord is coming back for his own. He told us he was going to go and prepare a place for us, and if he went and prepared a place for us, he would come again and take us unto himself, that where he was, there we might be also. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 9, 28, is going to come again, the second time, for salvation. It's not going to be about sin this time. He's dealt with our sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? He's going to come this time. He's going to come a second time for salvation. Won't it be wonderful to be in a place 
where there's no sin, sickness, death, nursing homes, hospitals, funeral homes, first responders. Not that I have a problem with first responders. Please don't take that the wrong way. But there's going to be nothing to respond to in that way. And that's awesome. Hebrews 4.16, another time passage that we as Christians need to just hold on to with all our hearts. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I don't know what to do, when I am struggling, I can go in my time of need and I can find grace and I can find mercy and I can find help at the throne of God's grace because Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and he knows what I'm going through at this time. God is so good to us. His timing is perfect. His gifts of love and mercy and his holy word along with the time to explore and enjoy and experience and appreciate them is a priceless expression of his nature. And yet, there are so many who waste, who squander, who just throw away that precious God-given gift of time on things that are worth so much less, in fact, are worthless by comparison. For example, from the time that some disciples hear a difficult or challenging teaching from the Word of God, they walk away. And they spend the rest of their time on things that cannot profit, things far less valuable than the words of eternal life which Jesus has to offer, John chapter 6, verses 60 through 68. And then there are those like Judas in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 16 who from the time that they hear some religious leader, even if it is a religious leader they have followed for years, hello, like Judas, when they hear some religious leader, even if it is one they have followed for years, make a decision that they don't like or agree with, they seek an opportunity to betray or sell them out. What a terrible waste of time when what they ought to be doing is forgiving, letting it go, and moving on. What a terrible waste of time just because you don't agree with something a religious leader does like Jesus when he allowed that expensive perfume bottle to be broken. And Judas and some of the rest of the disciples didn't like his decision. And so Judas goes immediately after that in his anger and sells out Jesus. What a waste of time. What a waste of life when what they'd ought to do is forgive and move on. God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 the knowledge of him which we get from his word, wherein we discover the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. It was once and for all, what does that mean? The faith once for all delivered to the saints means once and for all time, that's it. Everything we got is everything we need. Everything we need is everything we've got, right here in the word of God. There was no new revelation coming after the first century. We have the faith once delivered for all time. And yet, there are many in our world today, the majority in our world today, who instead of making the most of the time by, by studying the apostles' doctrine, by abiding in and insisting on paying more time and attention to the word of God, they're more like the Athenians. They're more like all the Athenians and the foreigners of Acts 17.21 
who wastefully spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I, I encourage you to read that passage when you have a bit of time. All they cared about, these Athenians, was, was hearing some new thing. And, and how that has permeated our world. People that it ought to be, to be spending their time in the word of God and the faith once delivered and the apostles' doctrine and, and what God said. Instead of doing that, so many people waste their time, spending their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. And, and brethren, it's not all about the latest fad in the religious world. It's not all about the latest disaster on the evening news. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. Right here. That's what it's about. There's nothing new under the sun. And so we need to not be caught up like those Athenians in, in, in trying to be the first one to tell everybody the latest news story. The greatest news story of all is right here in this book. That's what Paul was all about. Wasn't about something new. It was about something true. And others, still others, waste their entire lifetime waiting for a, quote, more convenient time to come to Christ and become a Christian the same way that Felix did in Acts 24 and verse 25. And still others squander their time, the time they should be devoting to the apostles' doctrine by gathering about themselves teachers to tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear and obey in order to save their eternal souls. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. What a, isn't that an awful waste of time? God tells us what we need to know. God tells us what is true. But yet 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2, tells us to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. But verses 3 and 4 go on to say, for the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but it will gather or heap up for themselves teachers to tickle their ears, to tell them what they want. What a terrible waste of time. Why do people go looking for somebody else to contradict what God told them? That's a waste of life. The Bible says of such wanton time and soul wasters that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Jude 18. The Bible says of such wanton time squanderers in the last days perilous times will come. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and following for men will be lovers of self, haters of God and so on. The Bible speaks of such time squanderers in 1 Timothy 4.1 when it says, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day. He has appointed a single point in time on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead, Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a time. That's, that's the bottom line, okay? Or the, for the sake of this sermon, the timeline. That is the bottom line or the bottom timeline of this whole thing. Brethren, the time is coming. The time is coming when all of us, from the least to the greatest, is going to, are going to have to leave this earth. We're going to have to leave this earth and this earthly body behind to go meet the Lord in judgment. And when that time comes, when that time comes, where we go from there as an individual is going to largely depend on how we spent our time here. Please don't miss that. 
Where we go from there when that time comes is going to depend largely on how we spent our time here. That's why Jesus warned us in Mark 13 and verse 33, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. We need to spend our time here as much as we possibly can. Now, I know we have jobs, and I know we have families, and I know if a man does not work, he shall not eat. I understand that. And I know we have responsibilities, and I get that. But as much as we can, we need to spend our time asking and seeking and knocking and studying and serving and worshiping seeking to understand what the will of the Lord is so that we can obey it while there is still time. Ephesians chapter 5. And here's why. This is, this is the punchline of the morning's lesson. Here's why. Because we show God exactly by how we spend our time here what we either do or not or do not want to be involved with throughout all eternity and that's choice he's going to honor and let, let me explain that a little bit further if we tell God with all of our time here that he's not really all that important that we really don't want to study his word, that we really don't want to worship as much as he'd like us to, you know. and It's really not that important to us with our time to spend our time in pursuit of those things. Then come judgment day, don't be surprised if God says, why would you want to come to heaven? Because what we're going to be doing here is worshiping, getting closer together, we're going to be in fellowship with one another. We're going to be praising. We're going to be in the presence of God. And, and if, you, if you tell God, being in your presence and the presence of your people is not all that important to me. How can we blame God for honoring what we've told him we don't want to do? That's why it scares me a little bit when I consider attendance, be it live or live stream. You know, I, I've never quite understood why is it that the churches all across America, the Lord's Church, congregations of the Lord's Church all across America, that sometimes you'll have this number for Sunday morning in attendance. And Sunday night, you'll have like 25 to 30% of that. Some churches better. I've been in congregations have had 40, 50, 60. But why is the number less on Sunday night? Why is the number less on Wednesday? Isn't studying God's word on Wednesday night as important as studying it on Sunday morning? Why is it when you add up the in-person attendance here at the building on Sunday morning, whatever it is, and you couple that up with the, the views that we, we have on live stream as brethren worship with us from home Sunday morning, and you add those numbers up. They come to whatever they come to. And then Sunday night, you don't have as many people here, but they're not watching at home either because those numbers go down too. How does that work? That's scary to me. Is it possible that some, maybe not consciously, never do it consciously, but, but is it possible that maybe subconsciously some people are saying to God that, that, that worshiping him on Sunday night is just not the best use of their time? That it's just not as important as something else they got to do? Same on Wednesday night. It, God, uh, I got something better to do than studying your word. It's not all that important to me. I, I, I'm going to spend that precious commodity of one more day doing something else. If we're telling God that it's not our top priority to draw nearer to him, to worship him, then again, 
How can we blame him if he doesn't allow us to be in that group who has told him while they were here that with their time, he's the most important thing to them? Those people that are always worshiping, studying, serving. Those people said, God, you're the most important thing in my life. I'm going to spend all my time either, either studying or, or serving you or, or taking care, doing, living a godly life, being a godly husband, wife, child, whatever. All of these things, I mean, these are all important. These are all part of it. And, and they've told God with their time, the most important thing to me on this planet with this precious gift of time you've given me is to be involved in those things and to, and to work and to serve you and to praise you and to be with your people. Well, God's not going to force somebody that doesn't want to be in that group not to. And so we get to tell him while we're here and the way we spend our time which group we want to be in. So the question this morning is, are we, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, are we walking wisely? Are we walking carefully? Are we walking circumspectly? redeeming or making the most of the time that we have been given. I am so grateful to God. You know, when I was a young Christian, there was so much I didn't understand. Now I'm an older Christian, I think there's even more that I don't understand. <laughs> but you know, I am grateful for every day that God gives me one more day to open these eyes, to get out of bed, and to try to get a little closer to him than I was the day before. Kirk will often talk about how we've been given one more chance to do just a little more. We've been given one more chance to get it better today than we had it tomorrow, and hopefully we'll be better tomorrow than we were today. And those, thank God for the time to do that. I am so grateful to God for the gift of time to learn and to grow and to try to get it right, to serve him one more day. Are we walking wisely, redeeming the time we have by studying, understanding, serving, and obeying the will of the Lord in all things, storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come that we may lay hold on eternal life, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19. Are we walking in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time, Colossians 4, 5. You know what that means, right? Walking in wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. Colossians 4 and verse 5. It's 4 and verse 5, not 15. What that means is, is making the most of the time when it comes to outsiders. That means making the most of the time and telling them about Jesus. It means making the most of the time and trying to evangelize and help them to understand their time here is limited. And I'll tell you right now, the way things are going in this world, people need that message as much as they ever have People are hurting. Are we making the most of the time by doing those things? Or are we doing the opposite of Ephesians 5, 15 through 17? Are we walking foolishly, wasting our time by indulging in the things of the world around us? What are we doing with our time? Let us make the most of the time that we have been given. And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Romans chapter 13. Verses 11 through 14. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. We then, as workers together with him, plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you 
Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. The question as we conclude. If now is the accepted time, and scripture says it is, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, and if now is the day of salvation, and scripture says it is, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, then please, please, do not just sit there or stand there and waste another God-given opportunity in time to be baptized into Christ and have your sins forgiven if you have not done that. Do not waste another day. Do not waste this time, this morning, this day that God has given you to become a child of the living God because your life is a vapor and vapors disappear really quick. And if you've already done that, but you know that you have not been spending your time as fully devoted to God and to study and worship and, and fellowship and service and becoming the best Christian person, brother, sister, mother, father, child, whatever that you possibly can, and you know it. Listen, you know it if nobody else does. You know it. And if that's you this morning, don't waste another minute not getting the strength that you need to become somebody who spends their time more carefully, devoting it to the things that you ought to be according to the Bible instead of maybe some of the things you've gotten caught up in. Today is a new day. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Now's the time. You can't fix the past, but you can sure enough fix the future. You can't change, maybe. Maybe you haven't been the person you need to be. Maybe you haven't devoted your time to what you ought to have been. You can't fix yesterday, but you can determine right now, right today, for the prayers of the church and to get the help you need. You can turn it around this morning. You can determine to be more of a Christian and spend your time for God. He's given you another day in order to turn it around. Isn't God awesome? If you have a need to do any of those things today, if you're home and you're live streaming, let us know. Get a hold of us. Put something up there. Kirk will see it. Send me an email. Call us. Do something. Just because you're home does not mean that we do not love you, that we will not pray for you. We're a family. And if you need help, we want to be here to help you as well, all of us. If you have a need, let us know right now, whatever way it takes, as we stand and as we sing.